The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Haps and Minded. My name is Jared Book, alongside Patrick Bexell. Patrick, how are you? That's a very long side, isn't it? It's, <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> but, but yeah. yeah. We're not in the same room. We're not even in the same country continent. or continent. or we're, we're, we're nowhere close to each other. So he's not really alongside me. In your ear he is, but that's about it. Yeah. Uh, no, everything is good. It's been a good weekend uh, with that with... Uh, with Mrs. Seb to stand-up comedy last night, and I've been working on Eyes on the Price and, and other SB Nation sites stuff this week uh, this weekend. Yeah, it's getting to that point where things are, are starting to pick up, and especially when it comes to players who are not in the NHL. Uh, and we'll get to a little bit of that with, with uh, Jesse Ullinen coming up in, in just a bit. Obviously, there's some news uh, with him and and obviously the draft coming up and, and things like that. Teams are, are in Europe a lot more than they usually are uh, at this time of the year, especially because they're not watching NHL teams for trades and things like that either. Uh, the focus yeah, kind of and, shifts. And and uh, I was happy enough where, where we were doing some research or Eyes on the Prize were doing some research in, in Engelholm this week and uh, I met up with uh, Anton Rosegård for, for the first time and uh, we had a little bit of Habs Eyes on the Prize meetup in in the stands of uh, Engelholm Arena, it was great. It, it, it's funny because there are so many people who write for Eyes on the Prize, and so little of the people have actually met. <laughs> it's it, it's one of those strange things where in this online world, uh, we we work together, we talk a lot, but we we very rarely meet. Uh, obviously, Patrick is uh, farther away than than most of us. And Anton as well, but even the people within Canada uh, or or the U.S. Uh, hardly see each other. Uh, there, there's some people who are in Montreal who I haven't met yet, believe it or not. Uh, who uh, I'm covering more or less every time zone <laughs> in the world. Fine. Exactly. Well, that's the whole thing, right? The, the the Max Pacioretty change is the one that that sticks out because I was sleeping, Justin was sleeping. The the people who covered it were were Scott. And Namico, who luckily is is two hours behind the Eastern time zone, so they they were the ones that really carried that out uh, when the trade happened uh, after one a.m. Eastern time. So it's um, it's good to have that covered, and obviously anything early in the morning, uh, Patrick, you have us covered with that uh, being a little bit ahead of us uh, here in the uh, the Eastern time zone of uh, North America. But let's let's start with the the month of February is over. It is now March. When we're recording this, it is March when you'll be listening to this. 
unless you listen to it after March, which in which case, what took you so long? But the the month of February was not a bad one for the Canadians. The the Canadians had a points percentage over 500. They were 7-6-2, which is just about 500. I mean, they've had a lot worse months uh, than, than they did in February. The problem is, is that if they were going to make a run for the playoffs, they had to be a lot better than 7-6-2, and two, and they weren't. Yeah, Th- those two um, 0 and 8 stretches really hurt them right now. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I mean, like, that's the difference maker in over the season, if you look at it that way, uh, catching up. And there's not many teams that can do what St. Louis did last year, and, and this year's Montreal Canadiens obviously can't. Yeah. But I also think it, it, it helped designing the trade deadline. Uh, for pros and cons, because uh, Mark Bergevin had sort of an idea what, where, where he was going and what he wanted to do. And uh, unless the, the uh, offers that came in were substantial, he, he wouldn't buy on them. And I think he did the right move there. Yeah, I mean, even even not even thinking about, you know, players like Nate Thompson, Nick Cousins, even Ilya Kovalchuk and Marco Scandella, if this team was doing well, or or didn't need anything, they wouldn't have taken a gamble on Kovalchuk and and tried to bring him in and see what can happen to make a run for the playoffs. Same thing with, with Scandella. They wouldn't have tried to improve the left side of their defense or, or tried to make a move if, if everything was going well. And obviously it was a long shot anyway, but there's two sides of that, right? The team wasn't doing well, so they tried to they gambled on these two players, but also the team wasn't doing well enough that you don't want to disrupt the chemistry. And, and exactly. what did... And I think we we both said before that you know the Kovalchuk thing was was you know it was a high low risk high reward and and obviously there is a reward uh, with with a third draft um, third round pick but but also in the way that Kovalchuk spoke about Montreal and um, how it seems that that Mark Bergman is counting on him to come back and mentoring a, a certain player that we will mention in a few minutes. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's the whole thing, right? It's not only the third round pick. The third round pick on its own and the 20 games that he played for Montreal where there was a lot of excitement, that's one thing. But he built a relationship with a player who has influence. And, you know, him just saying, you know, what would you say about Montreal, about free agents who don't want to sign here? Be like, you're wrong. And to have somebody say that uh, who has no real connection to the city, whether he signs here or not, because it's not, 100% that he will, I think Montreal has a real chance to do it. But just him saying that and, and his experience and, and things like that, it goes a long way because here, here's a, a team, an organization that has had players who have left under bad circumstances and who have, you know, the, you look at uh, Andre Markov, Alexander Radulov, Players like that, where you're like, ooh, is even even guys like you know PK Subban and you know not really being treated like people a lot of the time, and I feel that that's something that that Mark Bergevin is trying to focus on is kind of listen, we're we're gonna do what's right for the the players, and, and that goes a long way because you know why would you want to sign here if you don't trust the management, if you don't trust who you're playing for, you know. It, it makes a big difference. And so there's a lot of positives with Kovalchuk, and we'll, we'll talk about that probably throughout the summer. Uh, but but yeah, just, just the fact that, you know, 
getting a third round pick for nothing in Kovalchuk's case and turning a fourth round pick into a second round pick in Scandella's case, I mean, that's, I don't want to say it's magic, but it's pretty close to magic. You know, when you accumulate assets like that, and like Mark Bergevin says, darts that you can throw at the board. Uh, but we'll, we'll move on to the, the February Organizational Players of the Month. I just realized that it's the European Organization Player of the Month. Because there are three Europeans and one North American. <laughs> hey, well, you know, there's there's a lot of European content on the Canadians. And it wasn't that way when you started. I remember when you started, the uh, the European Prospect Report was uh, quite lean for, for the first year, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and we averaged like 250 readers on it as well, so it was it was kind of cool. But yeah, so there's so much you could write about Eunice Natman. Yeah, yeah, of course. But <laughs> but also like if you look at the players of the month of February 2020, um, Thomas Tatar is the obvious pick for 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 this month in in Montreal, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, when, when there were still two games left, uh, Nick Suzuki and and Tatar were tied in points. But Tatar's last two games against the Rangers and against the Carolina Hurricanes, he scored in both those games. Uh, he kind of got the edge. And, you know, Tatar is, it's funny because even now, even right now, leading up to the trade deadline and things like that, Tatar was just seen like as, oh, you know, he's a, he's a good player, whatever. Trade him, get picks, do whatever you can. And you look at him play and you're like, you know, if he's this good, why would you trade him? And that's the dilemma with Jeff Petrie as well. But I feel like Tatar has always been seen as expendable. And maybe part of it is because he was a secondary part of the Pacioretty trade. Maybe a part of it was that we we see him playing with Philip Dano and Brendan Gallagher and don't give him necessarily the credit that he deserves. Uh, I think even from a personal standpoint, I don't necessarily look at him like that. Uh, but maybe I should. But he's having a great year, and he deserves to be recognized. He had a great month of February. And and as you mentioned, he is important uh, part of the team. And um, obviously, Mark Bergevin thought so as well. So when the trade line and trade deadline came, he was very careful of, of weighing out pros and cons of, of letting Tatar go to another team. And obviously the um, the right trade didn't happen because I think Mark Bergman values him and, and if worse come to worse and he can't resign in the summer or, 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 or extend him during next season, he will be more expendable in, in next year's February and it might be better yeah. for, for other teams as well to get someone uh, with less uh, time left on the contract and opens up uh, other doors in that regard but I also think um, as you mentioned Petrie as well that was also dangled out there in a way you have to realize that both of these players are playing in their prime you, do you really want to lose players in their prime uh, a year ahead when you know how important next season will be both for Mark Bergevin and for the organization as a whole yeah I mean you have to balance everything right I mean there is still a chance that they can make a big trade in the summer because they still have a full year on their contracts, you know, similar to what Max Pacioretty did, especially if you let them negotiate with the team you're trading with uh, in order to get, you know, more more assets. You know, I, the Vegas did that twice in, in that year, right? They, they traded for Pacioretty 
and traded Nick Suzuki uh, because they signed him to an extension. And then Mark Stone, they traded Eric Brandstrom because they were signing Mark Stone to a new contract as well. So it's kind of it's like the the creativity aspect of a conditional draft pick. Only you, it's not conditional. You get you get a better player if you you know allow the player to sign a contract with the new team. And you know Tatar since the trade deadline, six points in three games. That's a a pretty good response uh, by by the Slovakian uh, as well. So you know you have to balance next year because the the Canadians don't necessarily want to throw away next year. They can't really afford to throw away next year. One thing is if they do like they did last season where, where they fell on the goal line more or less. But, but this year when you're out of the playoffs more or less in January, it's 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 not something that Molson wants, that, that Bergevin or Julian wants. It's not something that the fans want. It's not something that the players want. No one wants this. So so it goes um, without saying that that you have to keep players that are playing well and that you think will continue to play well you you, you got to have them around next year because who do you see step up and fill that void right now there's no one to do that yeah and and even then you look at a lot of things could happen in the summer if you trade a forward for a for a good defenseman if you trade if, if you you know sign you know gallagher or dino to an extension and and you're going forward with that. You have guys, you know, Romanov uh, may come over, and and players like that may may make a difference. You know, talking about Cole Caulfield, I don't think he'll make an impact at the NHL level, but progression from Kotkaniemi, progression from Paling, uh, Jordan Harris. It, 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 you know, we'll, we'll talk about the the interview that Bergeron gave uh, with, with Matthias Brunet of the press uh, in a bit as well. But there's a lot of moving parts where this team can be competitive. So do you really want, you know, six months before next season even starts or eight months before next season even starts, do you want to start throwing away key parts of that team when when you're not getting anything back to show for it? So it's a long summer. There's the draft in Montreal, which I can imagine Mark Bergevin wants to make a statement um, at that draft. You know, that we know that they'll have a, probably a top 10 pick. In that draft, there's 13 other picks that they have right now as well. But there's a lot of trades that can happen at the draft. And uh, you know that Gary Bettman, if he steps at that podium and announces a Montreal Canadiens big trade, that will be a statement that Mark Bergevin can make as well. Uh, if he doesn't want the crowd cheering for Louis LeBlanc, uh, like it did for his predecessor anyway. Um, moving on to your side of the pond. Uh, and the European prospect uh, of the month, and it's someone that you spoke to last month as well, and Alexander Romanov. Yeah, and it, it's an easy choice. It's more or less literally like the only man left standing, in <laughs> <laughs> so it was an easy pick in that regard. But obviously, I I, I spoke with him. Um, he was very careful to to not speak about his contract situation with with Seska or 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 with Montreal. Uh, so. You know, we, it, it was more a conversation about how we felt he, he, he worked in the national team. But getting called up to the national team as a 20-year-old defender, or, or it's, it's, it's a big thing, especially for a Russian defender. And even if the team was, was uh, outmuscled and outplayed and, and uh, a little bit taken aback by, by the situation, 
they, Romanov stood up. He, he the first ten minutes in um, against Finland was a little bit of a disaster for the whole uh, fin, um, Russian team, but also in regards to to Romanov, um, it's very rarely you see him on the ice, especially being hit down on the ice, and and it happened twice in the opening ten minutes, and I think. He knows that he needs to get bigger. I think he needs to to uh, work harder on getting his uh, center of gravity a little bit lower. So it's not just about building up his muscles. And that was something that, um, again, in, in, in Matthias Brunet's excellent article with, with uh, Mark Bergeman, said Kotka needed to do. He needed to lower his center of gravity. And, and I think this is... Uh, something that Romanov needs to do. If he comes over, it seems like Mark Bergevin will take a, a, a long approach with him, put him on the third pairing, let him develop slowly, make, let him make the mistakes that he needs to make in order to go over to, to NHL. His game is very, very suitable to NHL, but um, as in KHL, there won't be a lot of points coming through and uh, Hopefully, he will get a little bit of a chance to play more offensively, but, but his strength is a defensive position. And uh, if you look at the World Juniors, obviously, Sandin got you know the defender of the tournament, but he was almost a forward for Sweden. And if you look at it from, from a defensive point of view, uh, Romano was the best defensive defender in the tournament. He brought that with him. He got more time on ice in Seska and... Uh, it will be very interesting going forward. They will start tomorrow uh, defending their Gagarin Cup in the playoffs. And uh, it will be very interesting to see the usage of, of Alexander Romanov in these playoffs. Because uh, last year he played in the first round, but, but not much after that. But uh, it was obviously an integrated part of the, of, the, uh, of the team. You could tell that by how they celebrated with Romanov. But on the other hand... It's 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 uh, it's going to be a tough playoffs and and Bars is the team to beat out of the East, but obviously the the Jokerit has made a big statement this year, played very very well. Uh, uh, SKA and St. Petersburg is there, and and it can be tough for Romanov to get a lot of time on ice in the semifinal or or the conference final in, in West and in the Gagarin Cup final if Saska reaches that. But looking, there is another European prospect in <laughs> in Laval this time, but uh, and a little bit surprising. Yes, Brikot Kanyemi, AHL Player of the Month, with eleven assists. And let's be honest, I think he is one of the reasons that Jean Soudon was was called up to get his NHL jersey on again. You know, it, it's funny because I, I was at the, I, I was at the game when Kutkinemi played his first game when, when it was announced he was being sent down I believe it was a, a Saturday morning if I'm not mistaken uh, that he was that they, they sent him down and the game was that that evening and I'm like oh, oh this this has got a little bit more exciting and it, it's funny because whenever someone gets sent to the AHL and we saw this with you know Kale Fleury Ryan Paling uh, Charles Houdon a lot of the veterans early on is that there's a, there's disappointment that you have to get through and cut Kenny to his credit, didn't have any of that. You know, the, his, the, the first game he played, the team blew a four, one lead in the third period 
And he was just so happy afterwards because he's like, I got to play. And, and yes, he was upset that the team lost. He, I'm not saying he doesn't like, you know, he, he doesn't get affected by loss. But I, I think from a personal aspect, he was right immediately able to look at the bright side of, of being sent down. He was going to be playing uh, on the power play, on the penalty kill, on an offensive line. And he thrived there. And, you know, you talk about getting confidence and he missed the last two games this weekend with the flu. But you talk about confidence, you know, 11 assists in 11 games. You know, I'm sure he would like to score a goal. Uh, he, he is starting to shoot the puck a little bit more. But, you know, it's it's exactly what the Montreal Canadiens sent him down for. And I think that, you know, at the end of this season, I, I don't think he'll be going back to Laval. Uh, in his career, so he's really done what he, what the Canadians need him to, what he needed himself to do as well. Yeah, and I, I I'm I'm sure, and we mentioned it before on this pod that you know having the team in Laval instead of of traveling halfway the, across the country or or out to the islands or not, nothing bad about St. John's, but it's when you can stay in your apartment, when you can stay uh, close with your friends, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, then you obviously get a chance to to feel good about it. Anyway, it's a demotion, but it's not as big of a demotion. And I think that really helped Kotkaniemi. Then obviously Kotkaniemi, he has that smile plastered on his face all the time anyway. So, you know, it's, it's great to see him thriving there. But, but let's remember a lot of scouts, a lot of fans that I've spoken to on this side of the, of the pond, was surprised that Kotkaniemi got the chance to play uh, in Montreal last year and, and that he grabbed it as well as he did because his skating hasn't been up to it. Uh, we've also spoken about like he probably added more muscle up on top uh, before and, and it seems like Marc Benjamin has, has seen that as well and wants him to lower his gravity and obviously UL Bouchard really works well with young kids. We've seen that as well along with what happened on the tra- uh, during the trade deadline but it's 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 been good you know and and he builds something and kids come there go there and they see that they get responsibility we see that with with AHL players or or NHL players that that's on the bench or doesn't play much and they get to play in the world juniors they come back and uh, after having played 20 minutes a night playing on the power play playing on the penalty kill giving interviews, being the center of attention, they come back with a bigger confidence. And, and I think this is really going to help uh, Kotkaniemi in the long run. And, and obviously, it's a little bit away from the spotlight of that, you know, he's going to be our first line center discussion that's been raging in Montreal for the last 20 years. Yeah, you know, Nick Suzuki has that now. It's, it's his pressure to deal with now. <laughs> when you're talking about future top centers in Montreal, no, <laughs> I mean it's it's. Pro- I'm I'm joking, but I'm not joking. It is Nick Tazuki, but I I don't think that the the chorus is as loud um, as it was for for Kutkiniemi, and you know it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean Suzuki is still older than Kutkiniemi. You know we forget that a lot because he played last year in the NHL, but he's still one of the younger players in the organization. I can also see Suzuki being the top line center with a little bit less. Uh, defensive responsibility, whereas you see Kotkaniemi uh, being molded more maybe into a Dano kind of player. Yeah, I, I can see that as well. And obviously, I, I expect Phil Dano to get a contract as well. 
So you might, you know, come down not in a not too distant future, maybe even next year, with, you know, some combination of Dano, Suzuki, Kotkaniemi down the middle for the Montreal Canadiens. And that's that's much better than they've had in previous years. So it, it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, Kotkaniemi, well deserving of the player of the month. You could have given it to Houdon. Uh, Jake, Jake Evans, if he played more games in Laval, obviously he was up and down in February. If he played more games in Laval, he probably would have been there as well. Uh, he had a great month as well and deservedly got called up like who know. Next month, Jesse Ilonen will be that player and he will be <laughs> the first and only player to receive the European Player of the Month and the AHL Player of the Month in, <laughs> in the same in, year. In, yeah, in the same year. And, and uh, I, I think I think that the explosiveness that Ilonen brings to, to Laval whenever the deal is finalized and when they've gone through all the paperwork and how they can circumnavigate certain issues. Uh, I think that, that yeah, Ilonen will be an addition to that team and he comes trying to prove something after the season he's had in Liga. So uh, it'll be interesting to follow. Uh, I think he will uh, join the team and he will make an impact directly. He's played with Jesper Kotkaniemi before, not mm-hmm. very much. Not very much. And I think this is very important <laughs> too because everyone goes, oh, you've played with Kotkaniemi before. But yeah, you know, a few games in the national team. Development camp too. Uh, they, they put yeah. them together as well. Uh, not not this not this year because Kotkaniemi wasn't there, but the year right after he was drafted, uh, yeah, Ullinen but- and, and Kotkaniemi uh, played together. And, and, and I'll be honest, Ullinen looked better than Kotkaniemi did at that point. Ullinen will have one of the best... Uh, skating abilities in, in the organization. Um, the, the way, uh, as when I spoke to Jesse, he was like, I wasn't very good in the beginning, but I practiced so hard, so now I'm really good. And that's like, you know, <laughs> I tried to make the Finnish accent there, but I probably didn't do it well. <laughs> uh, moving on to, to North American prospect of the month and, and the final uh, prospect of the month is Cam Hillis. And, and he's really stepped up for his team. And, you know, when it comes to Hillis, he's a guy who has dealt with injuries. He has dealt with um, some some up and downs, especially last year. But but this year, when the team needs to make a decision on whether they're going to sign some players or not, he has really started to uh, step up for his his team. And uh, as they start to um, make a, a push for a possible Memorial Cup. Uh, and he's somebody who can also, at the end of his season, end up in Laval if the team chooses to. Yeah, and what, what stands out really with Hill's play is that he's been better at both ends of the puck or both ends of the ice. Uh, he's been more stable uh, in his own end. He's making the players around him better and, and he still manages to produce a lot. And uh, I'm not an expert on OHL, but the, the, the amount of, what is it? He's had 79 points in 58 games. He's almost an assist per game player in obviously a strong team, but, but he's making the players around him much, much better. Yeah, and he's the captain of that Guelph Storm team as well. And really wanted to, I spoke to him at rookie camp and, and uh, as well, and he was somebody who really wanted to just put the injuries behind him. Uh, he really just wanted to work on 
on playing hockey and and bring the leadership that he can to to that Guelph Storm team. And you know, it, it's funny because if you look up and down the Canadians organization, there's a lot of former captains in that in that organization. Whether it was you know uh, under twenty tournaments uh, or junior teams and club teams. Uh, a lot of leadership, uh, people who play leadership positions as well, and and Hillis kind of fits in with that as well. The, the the interesting thing is that obviously Hill is in the top two of, of his team's point production, but but the top guy is Pavel Gogol. You know he's he's eligible for the twenty twenty draft, and uh, there is a sort of Russian element to to Montreal. Should Montreal really take a step and look at him, and and will they pick him? When can he be picked, et cetera, et cetera? But you know that's that's an interesting thing as well. He's big, he's uh, strong, and obviously he he produces a lot with Cam Hillis. You got you got a setup already. Do you want to strengthen that, <laughs> or, or or do you just want to maybe look elsewhere? Yeah, yeah you know th- th- it's interesting because there's a lot of things that you can look at where players have been brought in because uh, they're, you know, Montreal Canadiens scouts are looking at certain players, looking at their own players and, and noticing other ones. It's an interesting concept. And, uh, you know, obviously everyone hopes for, for a draft lottery win or, or a move up to one of the top three spots. But yeah, it's, it's, then it's an open market. And, you know, with, with, as Anton and I mentioned in a previous pod as well, with all the picks that Mark Bergman has accumulated, he can make some moves as well. And, and the thing is, like, you, you don't want to have all those picks and come away empty. <laughs> you want to get some good players with those picks. Uh, you know, we wouldn't be talking about the last two drafts if they didn't get players like Romanov and and Struble and Norlinder. You know, that's yes, you can talk about Kutkaniemi and Caulfield all you want, but if you don't get hits later in the draft, there's there's really no point. And the fact is that Romana would probably be a top five pick in 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 a redraft on on that draft season. Yeah, exactly. You know, you have to you have to hit big when uh, when you have the chance, and and that's that's something that that the Canadians have done more recently. Yes, there's a lot of misses. Um, you know, if you go back five, six, seven years, but lately it seems like they've been hitting a lot more. And that the key thing is that they're giving Trevor Timmons opportunities. Right when you, we, we talked about this before. When you only have five picks in a draft, it's a lot harder to come away with key players than when you have ten, eleven, twelve picks. And and you know the, it's all percentages, right? If you're going to hit on, you know, twenty five percent of your picks, if you only have five picks, that's one, one player, one one maybe two players. If you have ten picks, you're looking at you know maybe two or three players. And, and you know it, it's all about putting the odds in your favor. And that's what Mark Bergman has done. And he said as much. Um, but before we do end this, uh, we do want to talk about the uh, the interview in La Presse uh, that Mathias Brunet did with Mark Bergman. If you haven't seen it, even if you don't understand French or you can't read French, I would highly, highly recommend it. Use Google Translate because there are some, yeah. I mean, if, if only just for for the sake that the Google Translate is brilliant because one of the segments in Google Translate is players must buy the salad sold by the coach and play in a structured way. 
And you know, I, I I'm I'm always going to use that phrase from now on. Like you have to buy the salad. <laughs> yeah, if a coach gets fired, you could say, "Oh, the players weren't buying his salad." It's a great interview with 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 Mark Bergevin, and and all the credit goes down to Mark Matthias Brunet. I saw some people saying you didn't ask the hard questions, but but that's not the point of that interview. The interview is that he, Mark Bergevin gets a chance to to make a statement and explains his actions, and and he took that. And Matthias Brunet gave him that opportunity, and and that deserves a lot of praise. Sure, you can argue that why didn't you ask this or why didn't you ask that or or is there anything he regrets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there were some very very interesting things in that. They're almost certain that Romano comes over. Uh, they're looking at um, signing one more player from those four. What was it, Hillis McShane? Yeah, Hillis McShane, Fonstad, and Samuel Hood. Uh, it's likely going to be Hillis, uh, I would think, uh, at this point. Uh, you know, McShane is probably second on that list, but even him, uh, you know, th- does he have... Th- there's guys you can find like McShane uh, elsewhere, so maybe they're trying to motivate them, but yeah, I think Hillis is at the top of that list. And also, you know, like it, it was clearly stated that we're leaving Norlander in SHL for another year. I'm sure mm-hmm. that the concussion that Norlander has suffered um, is 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 part of that decision, but it also seems, and and this is something that doesn't really shine through. You want to you want to move the contract. You can't sign everyone the same year to new contracts yeah. because then you're going to end up in a in a cap situation sooner or later. And you want to maximize the opportunity you see them develop. And you know, after you draft them in Europe, you have four years to sign them, uh, unless yeah. they're KHLers, because then you got even more years to sign them. But but in general, in Europe, you got four years to sign them. So don't yeah. stress about it. I know everyone wants to see players in, in in Laval, but you can't stockpile Laval either because then not all players will get to play. You got 50 yeah. contracts, 23 will be with Montreal and 23 will be in, in a full squad in Laval. And that means that, you know, if you brought everyone over to, to Montreal, there'd be four guys all the time sitting somewhere else. Yeah, no, exactly. And the, the the main thing as well is if you're if you're Montreal and you know reading through the lines of that interview, you know Romanov, if if he signs, he'll sign this year for the most for part. Sure. And then you, Jordan Harris, they're they're hinting that he'll be brought over as well. That that's already two prospects on left defense signing in the same year. If you sign Norlander, that's a third defenseman in the same year all expiring at the same time, that's not exactly ideal. Especially when you want, you know, when, when they probably want Norlander to play SHL if, if Moto isn't promoted. Um, they, they would like him probably to go elsewhere, I would imagine. Yeah, and, 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 and uh, let, let's be honest here. I, I know I put it in the EPR ages ago. Every SHL team in Sweden is ready to sign Norlander. Everyone. And, and he can pick and choose in, in probably in collaboration with Montreal, uh, which one he wants to play for yeah. or, or where he will get the best opportunity to play. Uh, I know for a fact that he's back on the bike, on the stationary bike. He's doing the uh, the brain ladder, as we call it here in Sweden, <laughs> where you take it step by step and, and building up uh, to see that he can work mac- uh, at a maximum level without causing too much problems with, with the, or, or any problems with with his brain and that he uh, suffered the concussion, uh, so so it's 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 a very they take they're precautious and and they're taking it slow, 
um, but at least he's not suffering any setbacks at the moment. One, one of the interesting things to me in, in that whole interview was, and yes, you can ask, ask the hard questions, but Vergevin has been asked the hard questions before and he just closes up when he does that, right? If he's asked about his biggest regret, he, he doesn't really, he's been asked those questions. This was interesting because it got him to talk about his thought process. And for me, that that's that's the interesting part. Right? I, I don't care about whether he regrets something that he did. My, my thought, and, and when you evaluate him going forward, what you want to evaluate is what he does, what his thought process is. Because right, right now, you can look at the eight years and be like, oh, he's had eight years. But to me, that doesn't really matter that much, to be completely honest. Because if he's better in years six, seven, eight than he was in years one to five, yes, it still matters. But I, you shouldn't decide whether he should still be in the job until you know what he's planning on doing. And, and for me, I have a much better idea of his vision going forward than I did, say, a week ago after that press conference he had at the trade deadline when he didn't say anything. And I also think that it, it was he clearly stated that he doesn't want to blow up the team uh, in order to maybe secure his job or, or, or yeah. give it one last chance or, or one last hurrah. Uh, he the team is more important than his job, and I think that's for me that was the takeaway in, in a way because that's something I personally have been wondering about, and I hope he, he keeps his word in that regard. But I don't I I don't see him change that. Yeah, that, that was really interesting to me when he said that I'm not going to sacrifice the future of this organization to save my job because the organization means too much to me. And part of me is like, oh, that's really cool to know. And then part of me is like, oh, I hope that doesn't mean he's going to be really, really conservative. Because uh, I, you know, I, I wrote an article a couple weeks ago about how he needs to be more aggressive and, and take risks. And, and I really hope that he still does that. Uh, even if it's not, like I said, more, not mortgaging the future, not going all in, but not waiting for the perfect trade either. So it, it'll be interesting to see. But honestly, it, it allowed us to see Mark Bergevin in a light that we hadn't seen, so maybe even since he took over as GM, and especially recently. And it, it was it was really interesting to see the thought process, to understand what what he's doing, and to to see what he feels about certain players in the organization. You know, I would never have thought that Jordan Harris would be on the on the the, the vision to sign uh, at the end of his uh, NCAA season. You know, him just coming out and saying that Cole Caulfield is not ready for the NHL uh, was interesting as well because that's a guy that you would maybe try and and, and rush a little bit, uh, and that's obviously not what they want to do. So there, there's a lot of interest. The question is: Has has he seen? When you rush players like Puliyarvi or maybe Elias Anderson, and and how that affects the players if they're not ready, I mean I, that's a question I ask when I read that interview, mm-hmm. because it seems like he's looking at other teams and learning from their mistakes as well, and I think that's very very important. Yeah, and even leaving it up to Cole Caulfield, right? Like they said, you know, we want him to go back to Wisconsin, but if he really wants to go pro, we will let him do that. They're not just saying, no, stay in Wisconsin no matter what, right? That, that's not what they're saying. And they're not saying also leave Wisconsin no matter what either, right? They're saying, listen, we would rather him take a slow path, but if he wants to go to Laval, we're, we'll absolutely let him. 
And I think that's the right approach also, right? Because it's not, it's not just one-sided. And I'm not saying that uh, in those two cases that you mentioned that the players, you know, were, were forced into signing their contracts early. I, I don't think that at all. But, but it, it, it points to treating them as people and not just as, you know, chess pieces on your board as well. Right. And I think that's an important aspect. Yeah. And also listening to maybe uh, the hype and, and, you know, you draft someone number three, you bring him over just because you have to, you, 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 but rather you instead, you know, go over there, stay over there or or stay in AHL. We're not going to push you. You just have to learn everything, do what's right. And and we're going to reap the rewards later because that is what it's all about. What, What he probably wants to stay away from is Cole Caulfield coming over. Let's say he, he signs his contract. He goes to Laval, and he doesn't score as often as people are expecting him to score. You know, he's struggling. A little bit like Ryan Paling this year, right? Ryan Paling wasn't putting up points. Yeah. And people are like, oh, he's a bust. What's he doing here? You know, he's taking a stick back. He might not never make the NHL. And what you want to do is you want to get away from that, right? Because if he goes to Wisconsin, yes, Canadians fans will pay attention to him, but not like they will in Laval. And I think that that's maybe part of it as well. And we mentioned the benefits of having the farm team close to Montreal. There's also negatives to having the farm team close to Montreal. And that's, there is an added pressure for players that go there. It's Yes, it's about development, but also, you know, if he scores a hat trick, you know, in, in his first week in the AHL, immediately people are going to be like, oh, call him up. Why aren't you calling him up? Yeah. And we saw that with Caden Primo this year, right? He had a good start to the season. People are like, oh, call him up. He should be, you know, the number two goalie. And, you know, it's it goes both ways. And I'm not and obviously you can work through that. I'm not saying it's a reason to not bring him over, but it's a factor. And also you, you in in NCAA in Wisconsin, he will get to play heavy minutes next year. He he'll get to play even more minutes than he does this year. But in regards to that, in in Laval, he will have to, you know. Take a step back, not play as many minutes, not get the 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 time he needs on the ice to progress further and and learn. So I, I can see that as well. You you want him to play, you know, twenty minutes next year. You want him to participate. He also gets another chance to play the World Juniors, yeah. which he would obviously have in, from from Laval as well. But it might be tougher. Yeah. You know, there's lots of players that like that that did that as well, right? Oliver Wallstrom uh, from the Islanders was brought over after one year of of uh, of NCAA hockey and, and has played in the AHL for a couple of years now. So it, it is a path that that players take. Uh, the advantage to him signing, as opposed to guys who come from Canadian Junior, is that you have the choice to send them to the AHL. Whereas if, if they were playing in Junior, you wouldn't have that option. So there, there are some positive aspects. But yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. I, I thought that he was definitely going to sign. You have four years for NCAA prospects as well, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so it's no rush. No. You, you, you don't have to worry. It's like a European player. You don't have to worry that, you know, after second year, you can sign wherever. Yeah. No, you can't. Montreal still has another two years to sign him without any competition. And I, and I think that's, you know, you see that as well as, as a GM. You, you, you acknowledge that and you know that, Again, we can't stack all uh, all the the contracts at one year. No, exactly. And there's a lot of and there's a lot of aspects. And and his contract will slide as well if he doesn't play ten NHL games next year. 
even if he signs, it'll still slide and they'll, they'll still um, have that contract be exempt as well. So it's, there's a lot of aspects to it. And uh, I was sure before I read that interview that Caulfield was going to sign this year. Now I'm a little bit more unsure, but I do feel that they definitely have uh, his best interest at heart. And uh, like I said, I'm encouraged by that interview. I still don't know if I, if it was up to me if I would keep him in his job, but it's not my decision, and uh, I'm willing to to wait until at least the summer to see how he deals with everything he has coming up. And I, I do think that something big will happen this summer. I know we say that every summer, but but I definitely feel that way, and I, I think that you do as well. And but I I think that next year will be. This is something that we probably always, always say as well. Next year will be make it or break it. It, it, there has to be a very clear sign yes. of improvement uh, for next season uh, for Bergevin to keep his job. Yeah. That's, that's my initial thought after this interview. Uh, but he, at least he has an agenda. At least he has a roadmap to where he wants to go. And we're aware of that roadmap right now. So it's easier to understand it and gives him some leeway. And uh, yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing. And, and it was a, I think it was a very well done interview yeah absolutely and the the one thing we'll leave you we're not going to discuss this on this podcast but i do want to leave you with this we've mentioned a lot of the on ice decisions that mark bergevin has to make will claude julien be the coach of this team next season we'll leave you with that on this episode of absent minded patrick thank you for joining me thank you all for listening and uh, we'll see you next time on absent minded